0: So Pastor Chris is on vacation. Um, they are right now driving home, I believe. And as you guys probably know, a number of our brothers and sisters have gotten hit with COVID. So we had to kind of move some puzzle pieces around this morning so you get me twice for worship and for preaching. <clears throat> so each year I, uh, I try to pick one, one book of the Bible and really spend time thinking about it and dwelling it and um, reading commentaries on it. Uh, This year, I chose Ezekiel. And um, today, I'm preaching on Ezekiel 37, one through 14, which is probably the most well-known verse in the book of Ezekiel. Now, this is a passage about how God, Yahweh, through his Holy Spirit and the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, regenerates the spiritually dead and the hopeless, bringing us back into his presence and directing us toward the promised land, the new Eden. It's about hope, certainly, but it's also about hopelessness. It's about resuscitation. So I'm going to start this sermon with a story about my, my little daughter there, Leela, and my wife, Kenza. Some of you guys may have heard this story before, When Kinza was pregnant with Leela, she got a very severe case of preeclampsia that turned into HELP syndrome. Essentially what this means is that her body was shutting down uh, because of Leela. This was something that would kill mothers and children before modern medicine. It was a killer, and it still is a killer. And the only cure is for Leela to be delivered from, from Kinza's belly. The problem is that when Kinza was diagnosed, Lila was only 24 weeks, all right? So that's very young. Well, so what they did is they hospitalized Kinza, they put her on bed rest, she was in the hospital, um, 24 hours, couldn't get up, couldn't walk around, and at 27 weeks Kinza's body started shutting down, and it shut down quick, within hours, overnight. And they had prepped us for this, they said what we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to do a C-section, an emergency C-section, there'll be one group of doctors with Kinza, there'll be another group of doctors with Leela. And they said, don't be worried, Chris, if it takes like five minutes for Leela to start breathing and to start crying, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna put this clock up here so you can see where we're at, and, and you know, don't fear if it takes up to five minutes. Well, they started, and they took Leela out, and they put her on that little little surgical platform, and the clock started ticking, and it got to five minutes pretty quick. And then it got to 10 minutes, and they called some code, and about 10 more people came into this room, and it was busy and bustling, and it was just me and Kinza. I was looking at Kinza's eyes, and you know she, was, she had had pain medicine at this point, so she was kind of out of it, um, and I noticed that the people in the room stopped making eye contact with me. So you know how when you look back at some memories, time doesn't seem to make sense. Like, it, it was an eternity and an instant at the same time, and Things just kind of buzz, like I remember a buzzing, like a hum, like dreamy sort of world. Up until this point, I had really never considered that Leila Erkinza wouldn't make it. It just had not crossed my mind. But then the clock got to 20 minutes, and those little red numbers blinking death every second, the seconds that felt like hours for each one. And I wish I could say that I had the fortitude to pray at this time, but I, I didn't. I, I could barely breathe. I just sat there looking in Kinza's eyes, not looking at the clock anymore. And hopelessness set up, set in, like muddy water just filling the room. And I you know, I was devastated. And then about 23 minutes was the last time I remember looking at the clock. But I heard Leela cry. And I started crying, and Kinza says, What's wrong? And I said, Nothing, nothing's wrong. Now I share this morning, this story this morning conscientious that there are some people who have been in situations like this where it didn't turn out good. And so my heart really goes out to you, and I'm sorry if this story brings back, you know, painful memories, but I'm sharing it for a specific purpose. And I hope that at the end of the sermon you'll, you'll capture what that purpose is. So after Leela was brought back to life, we got in a, an elevator and I went down with uh, the doctor that had just resuscitated her. And I said, that was the longest 23 minutes of my life and she said, you know, Chris, that was touch and go for a minute. That was a very, very close call. Six weeks later, uh, Leela was in the NICU for six weeks. Six weeks later, when we were being discharged, the doctor came up to me and said, kind of in confidence, she said, you know, Chris, usually we give up at about 15 minutes. But for whatever reason, we kept going. And so I share this story to say, this is, this is a passage about resuscitation, but what we're talking about here is not a vague, ambiguous thing. We are talking about people that we love, that we know, all right? So again, we won't get to the point of the story until the end of the sermon, but for right now, just think, we, we're talking about real people here. So the passage that we're studying today is likely, as I mentioned, the most well-known passage in Ezekiel, but, um, but it is important to know that, uh, that the whole previous 35 chapters of Ezekiel were filled with judgment and gloom and doom, and so I'm going to spend a little bit of time going through that. But the point, again, of the passage is that God, Yahweh, through his Holy Spirit, based on the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, brings spiritually dead people back to life, he resuscitates us when we're in hopeless situations, and he points us towards the promised land, the new Eden, but more so, he blesses us with his presence through his Holy Spirit. So starting in chapter 36, so this is, this is one chapter before, um, before our, our, our scripture, we have um, a, a little uh, shot of light in here. So... Yahweh tells Ezekiel that he's going to gather all of the exiles and he's going to bring them back to their own land. He's going to sprinkle clean water on them. He's going to give them a new spirit. He's going to remove their heart of stone and give them a new heart and a new spirit. And he says that he'll bring them to the promised land and it says, like the Garden of Eden. And from here, Yahweh takes Ezekiel into a vision of a horrible picture of a valley of dead and dry bones. So starting in verse one, it says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. So we're going to focus on that part first, the spirit of the Lord. And he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. All right, so now a little bit of background on Ezekiel. So whenever he uses the phrase spirit of the Lord, that's kind of an introduction that Ezekiel's going into another vision. There are four visions in Ezekiel. The Valley of Dry Bones is a third vision. The second vision is what we talked about at the ends of the night worship service. So if you remember this, this is when God's presence left the temple. So this is in uh, chapters eight through 10 of Ezekiel. And so in chapter eight, Ezekiel's transported to Jerusalem, and he gets to see what the people are doing there, and it is abominable. There are, there's sin and idolatry going on everywhere. I'm not gonna walk through all of that sin, but you can read it, it's pretty dark. But essentially what they had done is they had, they had broken the first commandment to love God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their strength. They didn't love others anymore. So Ezekiel saw this and then he saw a slaughter. So there's this man, he's dressed in white, he's like metal glowing on the top and fire in the bottom. And he goes around and everybody that wasn't participating in these sins, he marks on the forehead. But everyone else is killed, is slaughtered, man, woman, and child. There's a verse that says, and it's pretty rough, it says, defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. This is what the divine man did in this vision. And then there was the departure. So we know that, that in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God, the glory of God, was in the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant and that was in the Holy of Holies in the temple. Well, God's spirit leaves the, the mercy seat, goes on top of the cherubim, and leaves Jerusalem. And this is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So now moving on to the second part of this first, this first uh, verse. So the hand of the Lord was upon me, and me, he brought me out into the spirit in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. So Ezekiel had seen this valley before in his first vision. This was the vision that he saw the throne of the Lord and he was called in that verse that some of us might know about the watchman. That's in chapters one through three of Ezekiel. So the throne of the Lord, what this is, is it's this this kind of chariot. So there are these four cherubim. They've got four different faces, like a man, an ox, an eagle, and a lion. They've got four wings and um, they're all kind of facing each other. Their wings are touching. They've got hands. They fly, but their wings aren't flapping. There are these strange wheels, it mentions, wheels, inside of wheels, and there's eyes in there. So, you know, you can let your imagination run wild. All, all, suffice it to say, this is a fierce-looking chariot. Inside the chariot, there's these balls of fire and lightning that Ezekiel writes is, are the, uh, the spirit of the cherubim bouncing around in there. Then on top of the cherubim is this crystal plate, and on top of that is a throne, and on top of that is God's presence. And so in chapter one, verse 28, the book tells us that such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, this is Ezekiel talking, when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. And then we get to the call in chapter two. So the spirit of God, so Ezekiel is on the ground face down. The spirit of God enters Ezekiel and stands him back up to his feet. And Yahweh hands him a scroll and he says, eat this and he eats it, and it tastes like honey. And then Yahweh says to him, speak my words, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Then there's the the chapter three, which is the call about the watchmen. So Yahweh takes them to this valley, the valley that he would later see, filled with bones. And he sees the divine chariot again in this valley. He again falls to his face. Again, the spirit enters him and stands him back up. And Yahweh says, I've made you a watchman. Whatever you hear from me, you tell the exiles. If I say to the wicked that they'll die and you don't tell them in order to save their lives, they'll die. So here we, we get a glimmer of who the audience is. The audience, just so that you guys know, Ezekiel is in exile, in Babylon, and um, he's seeing these visions of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem hasn't fallen yet. It falls during his lifetime, but his, his audience are the exiles the people that have already been um, defeated by uh, the the previous kings of Israel and of Judah. So I share this background um, because uh, you gotta think that Ezekiel is bracing himself as he goes out in the spirit of the Lord into this other vision, and he sees a valley of dead bones. You know, the, the first vision left him mute for a number of days, and he didn't go out of his house, and what he was called to do was not a pleasant experience as a prophet. And then the next vision, he sees, you know, a slaughter. And so Ezekiel is bracing himself. And so we finish that verse. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. So we have a pretty hopeless situation here. He looked at a mass graveyard, not even a mass graveyard. I mean, these bones weren't even buried. They were, they were dry and dusting and decomposing and scattered about all over the place. And I'm sure that Deuteronomy 28 came to Ezekiel's mind when he saw this. He's, so it says in Deuteronomy 28, 15 through 16, and then jumping down to verse 26. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, your God, or be careful to do his commandments and his statutes that I commanded you today, And all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed you shall be in the city, and cursed you shall be in the field, and your dead body shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. So all the law and the prophets and the commandments and the statutes hang upon the commandment to love God and love others. We know that that's what Jesus said, and the Israelites had done neither. They didn't love God. They worshiped other false lying gods, and they worshiped them in a sacrilegious way, and they loved themselves. They didn't love their neighbors. And this, this valley of dry bones, is this curse that we read in Deuteronomy 28 symbolized. But the fall of Israel and the fall of Judah and the fall of Jerusalem and the fall of the temple and God's presence leaving the temple, that is the curse realized. You can either lean on Yahweh's mercy and love, worshiping him, or you can... Experience his judgment. And right now, the exiles were experiencing the judgment, and it left them in utter despair. So I've said that this passage is about how God resuscitates or regenerates the spiritually dead and the hopeless. And here's where we start talking about that. So moving on through Ezekiel. The Spirit of the Lord set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Can these disarranged, broken, spread across the valley, dry, dead bones, can they live? So we, before, before we get to that answer, I think it's important that we understand whose bones these are. So one thought could be that these bones are the people that were actually cut down in the fall of Jerusalem and the siege of Jerusalem. Verse nine says that they are the slain. These bones are the slain, but the text is vague. It doesn't talk about any specific battle, all right? So it could have been that these were um, Ezekiel's compatriots that died when Nebuchadnezzar overtook Jerusalem. But if that's the case, what exactly is Yahweh asking Ezekiel? If, if, if those, those people that had died could come back to life, so at this point in, in the biblical theology, there's only been three times that people had died and come back to life. This is in First and 2 Kings, and it's Elijah and Elisha that resuscitate people, that bring, bring people back to life with God's spirit. All right, but all three of these people had just recently died. They had signs of life, you could say, in the fact that they still, had, they still had a body. They weren't just broken, scattered bones. So... Was that what Yahweh is asking Ezekiel about? Maybe Yahweh is asking Ezekiel about universal resurrection. All right. So in Daniel and in Job, there is mention of this universal resurrection. Um, but it's, it's brief, and again, it's vague, and it's nothing like we see laid out in the New Testament. So in, in the Old Testament, you have Sheol, you know, the place of death. But there's not much mention of life after death. But there are two verses and here they are. Daniel 12:2 says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And then in Job 14:14, 14, 14, it says, if a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service I would wait till my renewal. So my, you know, coming back to life should come. And that's all there is in the Old Testament about life after death, about, about universal resurrection. So, is Yahweh asking Ezekiel about universal resurrection here, or is he asking about something else still? So let's try to sleuth out this answer, and I think that we can find the answer in the passage, and it's based on one word that's used 11 times. It's ruach. Ruach. It's translated wind, breath, and spirit, and it's all throughout this passage. So, the first meeting, so it's like a play on words. So breath, spirit, and wind. It's a play on words that's used often throughout the Bible. So let's talk about the first one, breath. So you know breath, this is when you stop breathing, you die. Leila needed to breathe, that's what she needed. And until she breathed, she wasn't alive. When we stop breathing, it's over. So it's like the word that's used in Genesis, Genesis 2:7 where it says, you know, the the Lord formed man out of dust from the ground, and then it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then Adam came to life as a living creature. So ruach is translated breath eight eight out of the 11 times. So go ahead, if you don't already have your Bibles open to Ezekiel 37, go ahead and flip there. Let's walk through this. So starting in verse 5, so that's where we'll, we'll start. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath, ruach, to enter you, and you shall live. And the next verse, that I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come on you, and cover you with skin, and I'll put breath, ruach, in you, and you'll live. And then a few verses down in verse 8, He looked out, and there were, no, were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath, ruach, in them. You know, you can see in this, in this passage, there's actually kind of two resuscitations here. The, the, the flesh comes back on the people, that's the first portion of it, and the second portion of it is breath enters them. So this is talking about the breath entering them. Then one verse down, he said to me, to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, ruach. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O oh, breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And then it ends that he prophesied as Yahweh commanded him, and breath came into them, and they lived. And they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. All right, but wind is one of the other translations. Now this is, this is nature obeying God's command. In Genesis 8, after the flood, it was the wind, ruah that Yahweh called upon to blow the waters away. All right? In Psalm 135, Yahweh says that he's the one who makes clouds come, the lightning and the rain, and bring forth the wind, ruach, from his storehouses. In verse 9, here in Ezekiel 37, we see it translated as wind. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, ruach. The third one is spirit. Now, this brackets these entire verse, these entire verses in verse 1 and in verse, and in verse 14. So, Ruach is translated Holy Spirit. Psalm 139, which we're going to look at here in a little bit, says it like this. Where shall I go from your spirit, Ruach? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. So, in verse 1, The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit, ruach, of the Lord. And then in verse 14 at the very end, I will put my spirit, ruach, within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Okay, so let's do a little brain teaser. There's probably a New Testament passage that might have a similar play on words. You guys don't have to call it out, but just sit there and think for a while. wind, breath, and the Holy Spirit. It's in John. So, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And you guys know the Pharisees in the New Testament, they had hard hearts. They were not inclined to seek after Jesus, but Nicodemus had a soft heart. And in the dead of night, one night he went and he snuck in a conversation with Jesus. And it's here that Jesus says that in order to see the kingdom of God, we must be born again, born again. And we like to, I like to, I'm guilty of this kind of poke fun at Nicodemus saying, how dull he must have been. But we're at an age where we hear the term born again all the time. You know, it's, you know, in American evangelicalism, it's, it's all over the place. So it's not a, a weird phrase. But, but if you actually think about what it means to be born again, it is absurd. It's ridiculous. It's nonsensical. So we're created and then we we die and somehow are, you know, born again. Nicodemus says, "Do we do we go back into our mom's womb? Is that what you're talking about here, Jesus?" And Jesus says, "No. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being born of the Spirit." And you know there's a theological term for this. We call it regeneration. You have to be regenerated, recreated by the Spirit in order to see the kingdom of God. Now this is the secret act of God in which which he takes our spiritually dead hearts and he makes us alive again. Our hearts that died in the garden with Adam and Eve, he makes alive again through this regeneration. So remember, my main point for this morning is that God, through his Holy Spirit, and the death and resurrection and life of Jesus Christ, regenerates the spiritually dead. And the hopeless. There's this old hymn that I, I came across in a theology book that that uh, talks through regeneration, and I read it years ago. And this this hymn has stuck with me. They've, nobody's remade it yet. Uh, I can't wait until somebody does. But it says, "I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not that I found, O Savior, true, no." No, I was found of thee. Thou didst reach forth thy hand, and mine enfold. I walk and sank not on the storm-vexed sea. T'was not so much that I on thee took hold, as thou, dear Lord, on me. I find, I walk, I love, but, oh, the whole of love is but my answer, Lord, to thee. For wert longhand before with my soul, always thou lovest me. So Jesus says, In John three, six through eight, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Spirit and wind, the same play on words. We need to be born again. We need new life, we need new breath. We need the spirit to do this for us. And the spirit, like the wind, you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So I, in my spiritual memory, sought the Lord, but afterward I knew that he moved my soul to seek him. It was not that I took hold of him, but that he took hold of me. And it was long beforehand with my soul that my God, Yahweh, started loving me. And this is what regeneration is. It's making spiritually dead people come to life. So, now I wanna to go to Psalm 139, where we saw Ruah. Remember that? Let's read a little bit of this. It Puts it in a poetic way. Psalm 139, 15 through 16 says, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately 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 woven in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them it was long beforehand with my soul when my god yahweh started loving me in verse 5 and 6 it says you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me such knowledge is wonderful it's too wonderful for me it's high i can't attain it then in verse 8 8 through 12 it says if i make my bed in sheol you are there if i take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me if i say surely darkness shall come over me, and the light be bright, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. It was not so much I that on him took hold as he took hold on me. Ruach. So you have in Psalm 39, that's written by David, the author hiding from God himself. You have hopelessness amidst hope. Hiding even in Sheol, the land of death, hiding in the uttermost parts of the sea, hiding out from God, hiding in the darkness. But God's Spirit finds him. He finds him in the land of death, and he finds him out at the ends of the seas, and he finds him cowering in the dark, in his own dark heart. In our own dark hearts is where God finds us. It's almost like a, a, a flicking, up, flicking on of the switch of our souls. what regeneration is like, where we finally see God. Then we have Ezekiel here in this valley of bones. Hopelessness and hope. Dry, dead, bleak, desolate. If there's any place that can be called God forsaken, this place is it. But the winds blow and the spirits move and the breath breathes into these dead bodies. Hope amidst hopelessness. And in Nicodemus's case, we see that one can only enter the kingdom of God. Our only hope to avoid Sheol is to be born again. Flesh cannot give birth to flesh, but the wind blows and the Spirit moves. And Christ came, and He was lifted up, and we're told, and we know, and we believe that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. In John three sixteen, hope amidst hopelessness, and that's what it means to be born again. We've gotta recognize our hopelessness. We've gotta recognize our sin in order to see the grace. So going back to the bones, thank you, by the way, for letting me take that quick little snapshot of regeneration because it's important. Theologically, it's important to what's going on here in this passage. So whose bones are these in the valley? I mean, so if Yahweh was asking about universal resurrection, you know, my mind goes to um, Martha's response to, to Jesus in John 11:24. Do you remember this? This is when Martha runs up to Jesus on the road because Lazarus has died, and she says, will my brother live? And Jesus says, yes, your brother will live. And Martha, do you remember what her response was? Yes, yes, I know. I know. On the last day, he'll rise again like everyone else, but Jesus, that's not what I'm asking. Will he live today? All right. So if Yahweh was asking Ezekiel about universal resurrection and Ezekiel had the insight into the New Testament that Martha had, wouldn't Ezekiel's response have been something more like Martha's? But it wasn't. He said, only you know, Lord. So here's why I'm belaboring the point. The passage doesn't speak directly to universal resurrection, the resurrection at the end of the days. I think that's a secondary point of this passage, but it's not the main point. The question is, not can bones in general be brought back to life, but can these bones out here in the valley, can they be brought back to life, specific bones? And we know that in the beginning of this book, as I mentioned briefly, Ezekiel was called to be a prophet to the exiles. So the question is, can these bones live, the bones of the exiles? And here's another reason, two more reasons why I think that that's the primary point. Verse 11 seems to clarify it. Then he said to me, Yahweh said to Ezekiel, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Ezekiel wasn't, wasn't a prophet to the dead. Ezekiel was a prophet to the not yet dead that are in exile. They're, these people are starting to become concerned with their depondency, despondency and their sin. And they're truly concerned about the fact that, that, that the temple has been sacked and that Yahweh's spirit has left. And their bones are dry and they feel cut off from Yahweh, so they probably join in with the psalmist in Psalm 31, 22, where he said, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you. They had lost their land, they had lost their temple, and most despairing, they had lost Yahweh's presence. They were exiles in a foreign land, and all was lost. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. They had abandoned the covenant to love God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their might, and they needed regeneration. This passage is about how God, through the Holy Spirit, and by the life and death and resurrection of Christ, regenerates the spiritually dead and hopeless. That's the primary point of this passage. And let me tell you more. We share this same spiritual condition as the exiles. It says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, I confess that that is how I feel often. I feel spiritually bankrupt, and sin plagues me. It plagues us, it plagues us all. So whose bones are these that we're talking about here in the valley? These are our bones. So let me ask you and let me ask myself, just like Yahweh asked Ezekiel, can these bones actually live? Not just theoretically, not just you know theologically, But do we feel that we will actually become alive and be regenerated? Do we feel that we are alive and that we are regenerated? Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 answers this question for us. It says, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that they would know in the coming ages that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. Regeneration, we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared long beforehand that we should walk in. These dry bones, our dry bones, can they live? They can live. We do live. And by grace, we have been saved by faith. And so Ezekiel ends this passage in verse 14 saying this, I'll put my spirit within you and you shall live and I'll place you in your own land and you shall know that I am the Lord. And listen to this, I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord Yahweh he puts his spirit within us and we will live. Jesus Christ paid for our spiritual alienation. He paid for the spiritual alienation of the exiles, the breaking of the law, our lack of love for him and others, and he'll bring us again someday to a place like Eden where we'll be with him and we'll have his presence. And the spirit is also how we fight sin today. You guys remember when we studied Romans 8? where it says in verse 13 through 14, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. The Holy Spirit is in us to enable us to love God, to make us want to love God even. He's in us to make us wanna love each other, to make us wanna love our neighbors. So this chapter ends with this. This, is all the way, this isn't part of the, the, the passage. So go, going down to verse 24, It says, my servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever, it says. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever, and I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it'll be an everlasting one, and I'll set them in the land and multiply them and I'll put my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. It says. So, what about this physical resu- uh, restoration that, that we now know of, this universal resurrection? So, this passage clearly does talk about the exiles returning to live in a promised land. And we know, we've, we've learned studying Nehemiah that it happened. They went, they went back to Jerusalem and they rebuilt the temple and they rebuilt the walls. However, what about that in verse 24 that we just read about the, the promised king, the servant of David? Even as, after the Israelites re- returned to the promised land, they weren't sovereign. Their king was not a descendant of David. Their king was, was uh, Artaxerxes who lived in, in Persia. That was their king. And what about the forevermore that we see in verse 26 and the forevers that we see throughout there? The exiles returned, they were restored to their land, but they lost it again 400 years later. Jesus prophesied about that. And what about Yahweh making his dwelling place in them in verse 27? His presence, like we learned, never returned back to the temple after it was rebuilt like it had in the original temple. Okay, so that's that's what we call the eschatology. Uh, I've got inaugurated eschatology. Pastor Chris talks about it a lot. It's easier to, this is an easier, now and not yet. That's a better way to remember it, or inaugurated eschatology. All right, so the promises were not and are still not wholly, fully realized. But let's go ahead and look at the the messianic age in the New Testament and see what, what goes on there. So we know in the Old Testament, God's presence was in the mercy seat, on the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies, and in the Holy of Holies has a curtain. And only once a year can one guy, one priest, go in there, and it's a big ordeal. So God's presence was with him, but not, not like it is now. I mean, his, they couldn't actually go and see him whenever they wanted to. But when Jesus died, and, it, and he cries out, it is finished, that curtain tore in two. It says in, in Matthew 27, 51, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook. There was an earthquake, and the rocks were split. Rocks were splitting, and the tombs also were opened, and here's some crazy wild stuff. Some bodies got up and went into the city and started walking around. Can these bones live? Yes, they can live. But I'll tell you something, that was just a taste. Those those people, they still died again. Now and not yet, just a taste of what's to come. But we can know that the presence that we have with Yahweh right now is a a closer, tighter presence than we had in the Old Testament because we have the Holy Spirit within us. But there's more. So in John 20, 19, so still talking about about the the now and not yet that we see in in the New Testament, Jesus comes and um, goes to his disciples after he's been raised from the dead and he says, peace be with you. And he showed them his hands and aside from the crucifixion, and the disciples were glad when they saw this, and he says, peace be with you. And then listen, listen to this. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on, him, on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And I love the story of the road to Emmaus. You remember this? This is when two of Jesus' disciples were, were walking on the road and talking about the empty tomb. And Jesus comes to them and he says, what are you guys talking about? But he's, he's like somehow hidden so that they don't, they don't know that it's Jesus. And they say, who are you and how do you not know what's going on? Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. And this morning we learned that his, his grave is now empty. And so Jesus goes on and he tells them, starting in Genesis to the very end, why all of these things had to happen. This was always the plan long beforehand this was the plan and their eyes were opened up and they understood it and so they they got to the village where they were going and they said come and eat with us and jesus says okay i'll go and eat with you and they sit down at the table and like that they un- they saw jesus and then he disappeared and you remember what he what they said they said did not our hearts burn within us while while he talked to us on the road while he opened the scriptures to us and brothers and sisters don't our heart burn sometime when God reveals the wondrous mysteries of the gospel in his word, doesn't that scroll taste like honey? Do not our hearts burn? And this isn't how the story ends, though. These two guys, they go and tell the other disciples, you're not gonna believe this. And so they're in this room, and they're telling the story, and then Jesus is there again, out of nowhere, and he does the same thing, Genesis to the end, explains the scriptures, opens up their eyes, enlightens their heart. And he closes closes with this. It's written that Christ should suffer and on the third day raised from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of the sins should be proclaimed in his name. Listen to that. That repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are the witness of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And this power from on high, we know, is the Holy Spirit, ruach, flowing in our hearts and our minds right now, convicting us of sin, reminding us of grace, grace upon grace, so we are those witnesses. We are the dry bones out there in the valley that have now become the watchmen, it's us. So going back to Ezekiel, and going back to those three things that was promised at the end of Ezekiel. So what about the kingship? What about the servant David being king over the Israelites? Well, that's Jesus Christ, and we know that now. And Jesus, he is our king, and he is reigning at the right hand of God right now, interceding for us. And one day, he'll come back, and he'll return, and he'll be our physical king. It's now, and it's not yet. And what about dwelling in the land forevermore? So that, brothers and sisters, is something that will come. There will be a a new Eden, a place like Eden. And what about Yahweh making his dwelling place with us? Well, that also, and the, 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 the final uh, vision in Ezekiel talks about the new temple, and Revelations is filled with it. Someday, we will see Jesus and Yahweh face to face again, but right now, we still have his spirit in our hearts, his presence in our hearts, now and not yet. So, brothers and sisters, there is a valley of dry bones out here in Wilmington, and these are not nameless dry bones ambiguous set of dry bones out there in the ether. These are, these, these are your fathers and your mothers and your brothers and sisters and our neighbors and the guy that sits next to me at work. Those are the dry bones. I know them and you know them. They're the names that are popping into your head right now. So the question is, can these bones live can they be regenerated? So back to my story about Leela. And I really appreciated Bill's prayer. So these are, the, these are people that we think it's hopeless. They will never receive the gospel. Or maybe we think we're hopeless. We can't ever, ever receive the gospel. All right? But had the doctor given up at 15 minutes on Leela, I'd be living a very different life right now. And you know why I think it is that she didn't give up? Because my precious daughter was hemmed in behind and before. And Yahweh God, her true father, had laid his hand upon her. And the dark hopelessness of night had no hold on her because dark is as light to our God. And the terror of death and Sheol had no hold on her because even there our God found her. And so whoever it is amidst our family, hope amidst hopelessness whether it's our father or our or our son or our daughters don't quit don't throw the towel in after 15 minutes we are the watchmen let Yahweh take us out into the valley and let us see that divine chariot and let us fall in our face and let's let the spirit pick us back up and let's hear the words I've made you a watchman Whatever you hear from me, tell them. If I tell them their sin is gonna kill them and you don't tell them, they will die. Or as Jesus says, we are his witnesses. Or as it says in Ephesians, at the end of Ephesians 2, we were prepared beforehand long ago with works, with good works that we need to be doing. So those dry bones out there, they are hemmed in behind and before. Your neighbors are hemmed in. And perhaps even some of us here Who still only know ourselves to be dry bones we are hemmed in even though we're calling out like the exiles next to the graves our bones are dead and dry we're cut off and we're lost perhaps your hearts are burning within you for the first time this morning or perhaps for the first time in a long time brothers and sisters the wind blows wherever it wills the breath breathes and the spirit moves And it reaches into the darkest parts of our hearts, into the farthest seas and the hardest of hearts. These dry bones, they're not yet dead. They can surely live.